You're listening to the team Top Figure Podcast. Your one-stop shop for entrepreneurship, lifestyle, and motivation. How's it going, everybody? It's your boy Top Figure Sal back here with another KeyCast episode. We're here with What's up, guys? It's your boy, Top Figure Wisdom, and we are back with another episode, Team Top Figure. Guys, we're telling you, we are interviewing the top entrepreneurs here in the Twin Cities, and today we have a special guest, uh, Elite Holding Co. CEO, also serial entrepreneur. No more needs to get said. This is the man himself, man. Hey, it's Mathis Gurney, President and CEO of Elite Holding Co., and uh, we're looking forward to uh, sharing some uh, business insights with you today. Yeah, man. So tell the people about yourself, man. How was your journey? How did you get started? How did you start Elite, Elite Holding Co.? Like, what's, what's your story, man? Let everybody know. Uh, started out as an entrepreneur when I was eight years old and really got a, a taste for it and fell in love with it. Um, from there, I went on to develop my first patent at 14, uh, built several other companies, invested in a few and just kind of walked into consulting, not expecting it to be long-term, but really fell in love with the fact of being able to deal with different cases and always a different problem and, and look at things in different strategic ways, which has always been really fun. Wow, wow. You mentioned you did your first patent at the age of 14. That's that's very impressive. Uh, if you don't mind sharing, how was that process and what you had to go through? Because getting a patent really isn't easy. Um, it actually wasn't difficult. Um, we purchased a product that failed um, horribly. And uh, on the way back home from camping and finding out this grill that we bought was was trash, uh, listening to my dad complain for several hours, uh, I got home and started up drawing up schematics for a blueprint that would not have the issues that we were finding, uh, such as losing all of our food into the fire. Um, and uh, pretty much from there, my dad ended up bringing home a welder and a whole bunch of steel. And uh, we built the prototype from there. I sold it into Gander Mountain and Bass Pro Shops and Shields. And then uh, we ended up outsourcing all of it. And I followed it by seven additional patents. Um, the process, at least for getting a patent pending, is, is pretty simple. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, man. So we're going to get right into it, man. So a lot of people have, they struggle with getting like clients. Usually they struggle with getting the right type of client. Like, what was it? Because I know when you were starting your company, you didn't just all of a sudden land the big contracts that you're landing right now. Like, what was the step by step that you really had to take to get like your first big win? Because that isn't always the case for some people, you know? Um, you know, especially for consulting, it, it really comes down to understanding the people and, and their values and stuff and, and what they're looking to obtain. Um, in a lot of cases, you know, if, if you, your client doesn't know you, you know, you need to be able to prove that you have the value and the capabilities to perform said, said work. Um, and so in a lot of cases, you know, it comes down to always just being available to take calls, ask questions, not charging for people when they have a question and stuff like that. Um, and to prove your value and time and time again, I have probably at least three people call me every day for advice. Um, and they generally send me an email the next day after their meeting that they needed advice on. And they're like, yeah, no, my boss loved it. My, this person loved it and want to get together next week to review the next step of it. And it's like, you know, at that point, you know, you can, they, they've obviously found your value. So at that point, it's when you can start kind of talking about what would it take for us to work together. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. You mentioned that, but the, it's not really easy being a consultant because like there's literally so much competition. Like what would you say really makes you different from like everybody else? Cause 
there's like so much consultant. Everybody nowadays would just say, oh, I'm a consultant. And it's not that easy. You have to really do the dirty work. You have to be showing results. That's the biggest thing. Like, what's your special take on what makes you really different from other consultants? Uh, the, the fact with Elite Holding Co. is that we've, we've never looked at each uh, client's business or what we're working on as something segregated into just marketing for a marketing consultant or just an operations consultant. Um, what we've focused on is bringing management consulting and executive advisory down to a level that most small businesses can actually engage with. Um, and so when we look at the organization, we're looking at it as a whole, as an entire ecosystem. Yes, there's different components, but they all play together. Um, and understanding that ecosystem for each business is, is really key in, in our differentiator, at least. Okay, awesome, awesome. Yeah, that's really powerful. Um, with clients, here's a big one. Like, how do you keep your clients like engaged on like what's next? Because now with technology and everything, it's always like next, next, next. Like everything runs out of trend. Like as 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 quick as the clients learn it, it's already out of trend. So how do you really keep them? You're doing a lot of the work, but also how do you keep them like up to date to knowing like oh this is upcoming. Oh, so you could be ahead of your competition. Like how do you do that as a consultant? That is a part of factoring in scalability. So when you look at said technologies, is it scalable for the company? Is it scalable for the culture as well? Mm -hmm. You don't want to just look at its capabilities and features when implementing something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so when, when you're dealing with the rapidly <clears throat> changing business environment, um, you know, the, the biggest thing is, is looking at how, the bill, how, how everything can scale with it, you know, and that's going to be the biggest piece of it. Okay. Yeah, so I have a question. Um, basically, the you mentioned you know uh, working with clients is one uh, you establish a relationship. It's very important to you know keep them engaged. What is some of the things that you know you do as far as you know uh, dealing with like the clients' expectations? You know, making sure that they're happy, making sure that they're you know they they enjoy doing work with you. Um, for that, I utilize communication, you know, um, making sure you stay in contact with email, making sure you have a good CRM and project management software in place. Um, the project management software and CRM that I use is actually all combined. Um, and I can add my clients to the projects. Um, so instead of them wondering, what am I doing? What's going on? Um, I can track the billable, non-billable hours in there. I can update stuff. They can see what I've been doing. They can see the tasks when they're assigned. They can see if they've been accomplished. Um, they can also view what notes that I choose that I want them to view. So I can have my internal notes for business development purposes. And then I can have my external notes of summarizing you know what the call was like so I can keep my client informed and every time I update those cases um, my client is automatically notified by email for me so when it comes to those things just making sure that your client is constantly in the loop making sure that you're having weekly status calls at a bare minimum um, just to make sure that the uh, project is on track to make sure you guys are still going after the same deliverables making sure nothing has changed um, because with business things do change and, and you need to plan accordingly for when things might need to shift and you know, you never know fully what you're getting into with any project. There's always a, a, quite a few unforeseens. Um, and, and generally, those are the things that kind of make you shift your project a little bit. And you may need to bring in an extra person or, or even bring in some new processes or even technologies or, or even training on to help those uh, people get through that.
Wow, yeah, so that's, that's amazing. As far as, you know, expectations, it's very important to make sure that they're in the loop, that it's clear, everything is, you know, and that weekly, I like what you said with the weekly uh, phone calls. That's one thing that is really nice where they're, they know each week, you know, okay, these are the deliverables that we've agreed on and this is what we're on track with. So, And it, and it really doesn't need to, to be an hour phone call every week either. You know, it could be done in five, 10 minutes if you're efficient and don't got a lot to talk about. Okay. Yeah, everything's up to date, everything's on track. I've got the three projects, you know, moving forward. We've got our project managers working on it. The dev team is doing what they need to do. I think we're good to go in on time. You know, it may even take just 15 minutes, you know, to get through it a half hour, but that's that's gonna depend on what needs to be talked about what and obviously what you're dealing with. Um, but it's always helpful to send a, a, an email beforehand. Um, you know, kind of outlining what you're going to be talking about so the whole team's on the same page and that way you can be much more efficient with your meetings, um, which is another type of thing that I've pulled from uh, EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System, is, you know, utilizing a level 10 meeting and making sure it's efficient as possible and that it's not just what happens in the meeting is, oh, we said it in the meeting, so it's done, but making sure that there's actually deliverables and follow-up to those things. So, you know, if you bring up a problem in one of your status meetings, set a, set a due date for it to be resolved within 30 days so that way you know next month on that same steps uh, next strategy meeting you can come through and say okay yes it's been resolved we have not had any issues and then you can cross it off and know that it should never be a problem again mm -hmm. Absolutely. Wow. that's very valuable my thing is um so I've always um with clients I like to always like address things like upfront what, what what's your take as a consultant on really asking the uncomfortable questions that people don't like to ask from the start yeah, so what are like a couple of those questions that you like to state up front? Uh, first question is, is, you know, understanding and asking, so what are you guys currently working on? What are your goals? What, are your, what do you guys want to accomplish by the end of this year? Um, and how does that tie into, say, your three to five year goal total? You know, because once you've, once you've understood that component of it, um, you can start asking the right questions. And, and number two, that's also going to start vetting your deal right off the bat to save time in terms of if it's even the right fit um, or the right type of engagement for your firm. Um, so when you're doing that, you know, once you've identified that there's obviously something that they're working on that may be of interest or, or for your company to work with, um, and you, you've understood those and you've asked the right questions, this next question that comes very relatively soon is, okay, so I understand you have X problem. What is your budget to solve X problem? Mm -hmm. um, because then you can understand what frameworks and parameters you've got to work within. Um, and then generally the last thing is, is always keeping it simple in terms of what are the next steps? Um, do you see us, how do you see us doing business together? Um, you know, and a lot of times people like to default to some type of referral relationship or something that doesn't cost money. Um, and in those cases, you know, then you need to start using some objective sales strategies in terms of, you know, asking them such as, well, generally when people, you know, say stuff like this, it comes down to one of three things. Um, either you don't see the value in my services um, or you don't understand my services. Um, you're not our market where I'm speaking to the wrong person or, you know, you simply just don't have the money or budget to do it, you know? And so when it comes down to that, what one of those three best fits, you know, the reason or where you're falling and stuff like that, because then you can start to really, if they say it's a budget issue, you know, maybe you overbidded the project with too many resources in there and stuff like that. Maybe you can simplify it a little bit, scale back the amount of hours worked and get that budget down to something that can work with them. Granted, it won't be a 90 day turnaround anymore. It might turn into a six month turnaround, but at least they can afford it. And mm -hmm. so, you know, it necessarily doesn't have to uh, affect the company financially. Um, 
a lot of times you can you can work the model in order to best work for those clients and i think is when you show that you're showing that your interest is in their best interest mm -hmm. wow. mm -hmm. yeah so that's amazing so are, are you currently working on let's see like as far as the uh, consulting business right are you working on any other exciting projects or anything currently going on with uh, in your life, because I know you have the entrepreneurship grind, and it's—is this the only thing you're focused on? You're consulting, or no? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm focused primarily on the consulting, and that's mm -hmm. eighty percent of my time. Okay. Um, the other side of it is I'm working on a, a project that I've titled Project X. Okay. That's um, and uh, <laughs> Project X is uh, here to is basically being designed to completely demonetize and disrupt the management consulting industry. Wow. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the next step is to, is to continue to focus on that, continue to build out the, the, um, project and the software and stuff like that and start, start doing what we're, we're going to be doing with it here. So actually we're, we're expecting by the first of 2019, mm -hmm. um, that we're actually going to be probably raising our series a round and looking to acquire anywhere from 10 to $20 million dollars. Um, just for developmental purposes, um, so it's a it's a fairly big project, and um, it there should be it should be unveiled in its pre-launch stage uh, sometime this fall, um, and so when that happens, people will have a much better idea of what we're dealing with. Um, but it's still going to be in its pre-launch stage um, due to the fact that it's it's going to require a heavy amount of financing in order to put this forward. But what we found, and especially with dealing with VCs and dealing with uh, investors and stuff is that, you know, there's, there's a lot of good companies. There's a lot of good ideas and investors aren't typically looking for those because there's enough of them out there um, that they really, really want that big audacious dream that they can physically see and that they've know they've got an entrepreneur and team behind it that can hustle it with a proven track record. Mm -hmm. And in those cases, which we've seen before with some Kickstarter stuff, you know, they'll throw up a pre-launch landing page and go raise a hundred million dollars mm -hmm. and then actually start doing it. Um, and so with this approach, we're, we're going to take that way because it's just, if, if it, um, if we do it any other way, it's not going to work. Um, so it's in, in a lot of cases, you've got to decide, you know, do we bootstrap this, run this lean and do we do this the long way and, and actually keep this a hundred percent and 90% of the cases for most small business companies keep VCs and investors out of it. They're more of a nightmare than anything. Yeah. Um, but if you're in that one to 10% of those companies that have something truly innovative, that is truly disruptive, um, that is, doesn't need to be a new idea, but the way it's been reworked makes it much newer than it ever has been. Um, sure. You can get you can get a a syndicate of VCs to come together, and yeah. you can have three or five of them dumping in several million. And and in that case, you know that's when that's when you start having fun like Elon Musk. Yeah, mm -hmm. no, I have a so I have a so that's that's very good. And okay. yeah, we're, cool we're yeah we're excited to see our project exits and uh, how it turns out. But um, here's another big one. Like, how do you know when to walk away from a deal? You know, like when the deal does not fit your company and not to really force it. Because companies, as much as it is to land clients, land clients, get clients, sometimes certain clients aren't for you. So, like, what, are, what, what should people do to kind of, like, step away and not hinder their company or kind of not hurt their company because this is not the right deal for you? Well, you know, number one, you should already have your target market identified and you should know who your clients are. Um, and in those cases, you know, you've, you've got to not be afraid to say no. And it's better to say no early. You know, it's, it's not, 
it's not a bad thing to say no to people. You know, you're you're not only saving your time, but you're saving them time and money as well. Um, there's, I, I never believe in setting yourself up for failure. Um, if it's not a good fit, it's not a good fit. Some of the things that I look for is, you know, am I excited about this? Does this get me geeked up? You know, if it doesn't, if it just makes me stressed out from the beginning, then in those cases, you know, I would say no, you know, and it, it has to fit with your company's values. It's got to fit with your target market. Um, and it's got to fit within the person that's going to be managing that project. Um, you know, if, if they're not, if you're not going to have fun with it, you know, there's no point in doing it. Um, it's, it's, it's going to be felt throughout the whole entire project. Um, and so in those cases, you know, learning to say no is, is going to be extremely valuable um, in saving everybody a major headache. Um, and that gives you time to look for the people that are right. Um, you know, and so those clients typically are the ones that, you know, start asking for things way outside of your scope um, of work very early. Um, they're the ones that call and say that they have five problems with your proposal and this, this, and this, and they feel like they're dragging it out. Um, you know, people that, that are, are dragging this stuff out, it, it doesn't hurt to just say, listen, you're not going to hurt my feelings. I prefer people to be direct with me. Do you have interest in doing business at this time? You know, even before sending out a request for proposal or if they submit an RFP, you know, coming back to them and saying, thank you for your inquiry. We'd love to submit a proposal for you. Do you mind getting on a call first and, and talking about a few things so you can vet this out? Because frankly, you don't want to waste two hours creating a proposal for somebody that's going to say, this looks nice, but we're not ready and stuff. So it's like, you know, before you even get get to creating a proposal, get a, a verbal buy-in of some sort. You know, it doesn't have to be, yes, you create a proposal and we're going to buy into whatever you put on it, but get a buy-in of sorts that, yes, if you create a proposal that identifies our needs and, and can articulate, you know, how you can solve those and what those deliverables are and it makes sense, um, yeah, we'd be more than happy to do business and, and also once you verify that they have the budget because why would you create a proposal for somebody that can't pay you? But like, how do you how do you know like how do you kind of find out if they're in your ball range or if they're not? Because people talk a lot, talk 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 talk. But how do you know the ones that are actually gonna? How do you differentiate the ones that talk and the ones that are actually gonna be able to afford your budget and not lowball you and say, yeah, we could do that, but you're kind of out of our price range. There's there's a very few meetings that you'll you'll know the difference because what they'll do is they generally come in and they will already have a scope of how they feel they could work with you. They will already have done a lot of their research on you and potentially, you know, how your services could be applied and then they'll want your input. Um, they'll be very forthcoming about the budget. Um, a lot of times when people are evasive about the questions or they're trying to get away from them or things like that. Those are big telltale signs that you're, you're dealing with somebody that's wasting your time. Um, there's a lot of people grabbing for crumbs. And what I found is that, you know, it's you don't want to be the fixer. You don't want to have to go in and to a distraught CEO's company that has been having problems for a year. And he's the problem. The company has issues. The culture is a whack and, and all that. It's That's really hard. That's really stressful. And it costs a lot of money. And it is a high liability project in those cases. What I found is that, you know, the best people to work for and to target are people that are successful and help them identify and reach their next uh, level of success. And if you take that route, they a lot of times they know what to do. They know what they're doing. Um, and so it's it's a much different engagement in the in you'll 
it's something that if you're intuitive enough, you'll feel the the shift. You'll feel that it's much different because 90% of the people you come across, you just get in that routine. You're like, yeah, we it's same meetings that we always have. Everything feels good, but it really doesn't turn over to to a sale. And then you have those one or two people that come in and you're like, right after the first conversation, they're like, yeah, follow up with me today. Let's get another meeting by the end of this week. You know, and they're, they're getting excited. They're pushing the project forward. And especially when you're dealing with a company, it's a give and take. You know, you could be doing pay-per-click advertising and all this other stuff, but if you're doing all this pay-per-click advertising, driving all these leads and all this lead gen to their company, but their salespeople and their closers aren't picking it up and just leaving it on the table, then it's not the marketer's fault and the PPC guy that was doing the ads that they're not making money. The fault is that the company's not working the plan. So when you're dealing with these things, you know, when you're going into this, you'll feel that you guys are both pushing this plan forward, that you both are mutually excited and that you're both on the same page. And that comes down to keeping it natural. You know, you don't want to force something because pushing against the pushing against resistance just tires people out. You might as well go to go with the flow and just float with it. And, you know, there's, there's an old, uh, an analogy of, of a old crocodile that was the best hunter in, in the whole safari. And this young crocodile would go out and try to, you know, kill things and bring it back to impress him. And he was never impressed. And it made the young crocodile kind of frustrated. And so he brought back a catfish next time he went brought brought back something a little bit bigger. It was like a wild boar or something. And he keeps coming back and he always sees this old crocodile with this, you know, in this famous title of the best, most vicious, you know, hunter in, in the Nile. And all of a sudden he's coming back to show him that, you know, I'm better than you. And the old crocodile sees this bison coming into the water closer and closer. And all of a sudden he just snaps him up and eats them and he's eaten for weeks and he exerted no energy. All he did is sleep and relax and drift in the water, stay cool and wait for it to come to him. The guy that went out, the kid that went out trying to do that, he was just exerting a whole bunch of energy for something that wasn't going to feed him in the long term. So every day he was going to have to go out and continue to exert that energy. And what companies need to do is to stop doing the busy work and stop exerting energy and figure out what is really productive work that that really drives revenue to your bottom line and and how can you be like the old crocodile that what you want naturally gravitates towards you mm-hmm. wow so that's more so like speaking into existence really so that's i like that that's really powerful mm-hmm. uh if you want to say yeah something I to add something. so basically you know uh what are some things i know that people listening here would really get this advice from somebody you know who's in your position who's you know an entrepreneur that's killing it what are some of the things you know that you do, you know, to get your mindset right or, like, you know, to really help motivate and, like, drive you? What are some, like... Keep the motivation going, keep the energy mm-hmm. flowing. You know, I'm... I, for everybody, it's different. For myself, um, I'm I'm a huge music lover. So mm-hmm. I'll listen to music that gets me pumped up and stuff like that. You know, I'll... I'll work with different things that kind of get my mind, you know, in that right frame that I, I have the confidence, I have the energy backing it. Um, I'm a firm believer in, in the law of attraction and mind yeah, over yeah. matter. Um, so, you know, thoughts do become things. Yeah. And if you're positive and you, you have the right outlook, um, you can overcome anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
it's it really comes down to just making sure that you know you you're competent in that deal and that you can add that value and keeping up with with the mindset is it can be tricky especially as an entrepreneur Mm -hmm. um, because you come across a lot of ups and downs and sometimes you question yourself Um, and so in those cases you know keeping that that mindset sharp and and trying to keep it fresh in a way that that's positive is is really important and and another thing is is surrounding yourself with positive people um you know people will people that are not cheering you on and they're draining you are the wrong people to have in your circle there was a really really good uh quote that came out by joel olstein um and he said you know if you want to know who you're going to be in the next five years, look at the five people that surround yeah, you. Um, and if you want to soar with eagles, you can't do that hanging out with chickens, mm-hmm. you know. And so really auditing your circle and being very, very, you know, very selective on who you want in it. One of the biggest things is, you know, with with anything, it's give and take, whether you're working with a client or whether you're working towards your own success. And if you want success, it is also give and take. Mm-hmm. So if you want success, you'd be surprised the amount you have to give up to attain success. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times that means relationships, um, that means your lifestyle, um, that a lot of things are forced to change um, in order to be successful and, and to have that right mindset. Um, and another big thing about it is is not only the people you associate yourself with, but making sure that you get enough sleep and that you make sure you get enough time off to, to really you know not burn out. Um, that's the other big thing is that you've got to realize that none of us are making out of, the, out of this world alive. Mm-hmm. We all are gonna die at some point. Um, and you know, with that being said, you just got to take the risk and do what you've got to do, but know that when it's time to go and at your funeral, nobody is going to say, wow, he had such a nice car and a nice couch. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to be trying to be talking about, oh, he was such an asshole or he was the greatest person ever. Like he cared so much. So, you know, when you're, when you're doing this stuff, it's, there is a much bigger vision behind it. And I feel that a lot of times the unsuccessful people are focused on the wrong things. Money is a byproduct of value. If you go searching for money, you will never find it. If you go searching for advice, you will find money. If you go searching for advice or giving advice, you'll find money. It's, 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 it's kind of weird. And so, you know, the biggest thing is, is go out, do what you love, do what makes you happy, do what you know, and make sure you can provide value. You know, it, what you do should be filling your tank, not draining it. Mm-hmm. 100%. That's, wow. that's, that's very powerful. That's a very big one. One thing that uh, I wanted to get into, and I know you mentioned it, is not burning yourself out. That was a big one. Like, um, that, that really caught on to me when you said that, because at the end of the day, us entrepreneurs, there's people that say, oh, I only sleep two hours a day. I'm working 22 hours a day, two hours a day I'm sleeping, man, I'm back, this is the grind, this is the... At the end of the day, that's stupid, because... Number you're... one, they're full of shit. <laughs> they, they aren't sleeping two, two hours a night. If they are, they're doing that once or twice a week. And if, and if they are doing that, um, I wouldn't want to hire them or work with them in the first place. Um, they're going to be full of so many errors, it's not even funny. Um, yeah. Working while sleep-deprived is worse than driving under the influence. Um, So, you know, and and on top of it, you know, these people are like, yeah, I only sleep two hours. I'm out here working 20, 22 hours a day or 18 hours a day. 
those people have no life. They're burning themselves out. It's not productive. There's been several studies shown that, you know, even in an eight-hour workday, people are only productive 3.5 hours where they're actually being extremely productive. So a six-hour workday actually makes the most sense. The rest of it, drop it. Like if you got to reply to an email, do it. If you've got to take a phone call, do it. But don't sit there and grind behind your screen for 18 hours a day. That's, that's complete crap. Yeah, that's very right. But man, yeah, this was a very valuable podcast. I hope you guys find value in this. Again, we're always giving out the keys to let you open all the doors you want. Man, I just want to give a special thank you to Matthew, man. What do you, man, tell them all your uh, all your socials, where they could find you. Um, if anyone want advice, like just everything where they could find you. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, um, at mathisgurney.com. Uh, you can also find me at mathisgurney for my handles, um, all pretty simple. Um, and you can also find us on the same platforms at Elite Holding Co. Thanks again, Mathis. You have a good day.